Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So, Stackwaddy game. Shall I go first? Go I on. Say that. Proceed. I say that everyone. Yeah, okay. yeah, the answer is yes. So, these are album titles that are expressed in a certain way, in a kind of, they're supposed to represent fictitious popular music singing groups, okay, in the title. You'll get the idea when yeah, I yeah. start, okay? Here we go. Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow, Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, Griselda Pugh and the Horses of Instruction, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, and Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar. I'll give you those wow, again. Wow, those are fantastic. And are they good? So four of those are real. Four of those are real. Four of those actually were album titles. One isn't. So I'll give them again. Those are really, really good. Zinc, Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow. Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water. Griselda Pugh and the Horses of Instruction. Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar. Over to you, Mark Helen. Those are really, <laughs> really that good? good. Well, I, I melancholy the infant sadness was a Smashing Pumpkins record, I think. Yes, so it I'm was. going to count that one out. No. Lullaby and the ceaseless roar is, I think, real. That feels real to me. Don't okay. don't give me the answer of the moment. Yeah, it feels it's, it's, and feels quite recent. Chocolate starfish, I think, probably. Um, again, that sounds sort of. San Francisco, 1968, 69, doesn't it? Zinc Alloy, is that's a wonderful one. Uh, and I'm saying, I, do you know, I think it's Griselda Pugh. I don't know why. I think that's the made-up one. It just doesn't sound as plausible and as, and as uh, splendid as the others. Which, God, what's the answer? You're right. You're absolutely oh, no, no. right. A collapse of start, Stout Party. Stout party. Those are yeah. really, really good. Who yeah. are they by? Go on, who are they by? Hear the air hissing out of my, yeah. out of my oh. early morning mood. Okay. Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavoured Water is a, obviously a limp biscuit record. Uh, melancholy obviously. In the, uh, <laughs> obviously. Melancholy in the Infinite Sadness, as you so rightly say, say was a Smashing Pumpkins record. I always thought it was a terrible title. Zinc Alloy and the Hidden Riders of Tomorrow is actually a T-Rex record. Uh, oh, oh, from, God, I should have mid-70s. Lullaby and the Ceaseless Roar is a Robert Plant record. And so, sadly, there never was a record called Griselda Pugh and the Horses of Instruction because that just came to me in a dream last night. And do you know who... The the horses the horses of instruction was it the old quote the tigers of wrath are uh, yeah uh, better than the horses of instruction something like that uh, and uh, Griselda Pugh was the character played by Hattie Jakes in Hancock's Half Hour very good the, the most butter bomb woman on God's earth <laughs> so, I saw suddenly I felt Griselda Pugh and the horses of instruction that's a good album title but not good enough to get past you that's brilliant it came in a dream that's absolutely <laughs> fantastic
Right. Well, look, I've got two options. One, I mean, you can either have one that's got a Christmas flavour to it, or you oh, can go, on, go on, go on, go on, go on. Do you want the Christmas, Christmas one? Okay, yeah, actually, yeah, this, is a pay, this is a been sent in by uh, one of our uh, <coughs> uh, patrons and much appreciated, Gavin Hogg. All oh, right. It's songs by cult artists which feature the word Christmas in the title. Mm-hmm. Go on. All right, five of them. One of them, not real. Okay, Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> Xmas with Simon, that's a great title, The Fall. <coughs> oh, Blimey, It's Christmas, Frank Sidebottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on. It's Clichéd to be Cynical at Christmas by Half Man, Half Biscuit. <laughs> All right. And Cool Baby, It's Really Christmas. By John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, that's so, that's so good. Those five, because they're all entirely plausible. Completely plausible. Yeah, I got, I got. Go from the beginning again. Christmas at uh, Christmas at Ground Zero by yeah, Weird Al. Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, go on. Uh, Xmas with Simon by The Fall. Yeah. Oh blimey, it's Christmas by Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. It's cliched to be cynical at Christmas by half man now. By half man, half biscuit, and cool baby is really Christmas by John Otway. And I'm just going to take a wild stab because I haven't got an idea. I'm going to say it's Christmas at Ground Zero. Oh right, no, it's real. Yeah. That's real. No, the made up one. Actually I would have thought jo- that might have been that might have been uh, offended against. Christmas. I would have thought so too. I, I couldn't agree more. But no, but that's the way Weird Al rolls. Yeah. Okay. So you know he's uh, he's you know was kind of against the grain, and uh, yeah, so that's real. Uh, uh, Xmas with Simon by the Fall. I rather gave that away. Actually, I say what a great title, <laughs> as if to indicate it was actually true. But that is a real one by the Fall. Oh blimey, it's Christmas, Frank Sidebottom. Absolutely. Uh, and the half man, half biscuit is real. No, the made up one is, is John Otway and Wild Willie Barrett. Yeah, oh, no, I thought that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it had to. Cool. I thought they had to have done that because if ever a career was based on one song, one phrase, basically. Uh, one phrase know, that could exactly. have been spun differently, it's yeah, that career. You're so right. That's extraordinary. No, no, amazing, amazing. Uh, oh, well, so thanks to Gavin Hogg for those. It's brilliant. Yeah, thanks very much. Terrific. If anybody's got any suggestions for future ones, send them in. London at gmail.com. I think I've got that right, Alex. He'll shout at me if I haven't. So uh, did, did you catch the Duo, Duo Lipper streaming event? Were you one of the five million, Mark? Who, I didn't um, watch it. I've, cut, I've caught the story. <laughs> um, yeah, she had this event about uh, two or three days ago, I think. Uh, it was a Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Yeah, Thanksgiving, one and a half million pound, uh, one and a half million dollar production. And they're claiming, well, this is her management, I think, they're claiming they've got five million viewers. Well, even if it isn't five million, let's say it's four million. Let's say they exaggeration by a million. Then still, at $10 a ticket... That's the point. It's paid $10 viewers. $10 a ticket's paid for. It's paid viewers, it's not just viewers. Yeah, yeah. So let's say, let's say it's just lop a million off. We, it would still be $40 million gross if it was true. And, of course, they're saying that, you know, if you stream an event like that, it's not just one person, so there could be, I don't know, a whole family watching you. You've got eight or nine of your mates or whatever. So the number of people who saw it were obviously, it was absolutely huge. And I thought it was, I think it's a really amazing story. I think it indicates that things could be tipping in that direction. Don't you think? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I do think it's certainly interesting, and it's undoubtedly one of the one of the results of, of the current situation because it was done by the same company who did the um the thing we were talking about the other week about the guy who did the concert in the um, in the in the um, natural history museum yeah uh, you know it's all about doing very special one-off yeah events big theatrical productions. in particular yeah. places unique yeah yeah and um and hers, you know, was was a big production. I was just catching up, catching up with some of it. But it, it, it was kind of like it was, it was doing her album basically with a few guests. You know, Elton John, Elton John, Carly Minogue, Bob, Bob Sutton, Miley Cyrus, or something like that. Yeah, Man, I think I was. Yeah, uh, <coughs> Elton John in his ceaseless 
almost undignified quest to go, whatever is the hot new thing? I know, I will oh, attach here, myself to here it. I, here I come, great granddad. If we were still working in magazines, we'd do that as a feature, wouldn't we? Just be <laughs> we pictures were... of Elton John every year with the Lundry. hot new act of the year. Because <laughs> he has, doesn't he, every single time. Of course, the funny thing is, all the people who is who is kind of whose limelight he's borrowed during their period, they've all moved on and they're not hot anymore. But Elton still is. Elton still in, is. In his odd kind of way. I know, I know. It's extraordinary. He's, he's the only Elton. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very kind of, it's very, you know, it's very slick. It's very well done. You know, it's 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 singing and dancing, clearly. It's theatrical. It's, it's post-Michael Jackson, post-Madonna, that kind of, Pop music. She's the latest exponent of it, and enormously popular. And uh, the interesting thing was that the streaming company, uh, the people dealing with the rights, in those territories where they, where the streaming market wasn't sufficiently mature for people to pay, uh, was too poor for people to pay, they did a deal with the broadcaster. So, for instance, in India and China, it was it was kind of available on telly, um, which is. It fascinates me that at this point in her career, somebody like that is already known in India and China. You know, know. you're dealing with a very different world totally. than you would have been, would have been dealing, with, dealing with in the past. But, you know, will this thing ever kind of supplant live performance? I suppose the thing I was thinking... You know, it's it's like a it's a it's like a video unveiling. It's like a big MTV event, but it happens to be streamed rather than on your telly. And um, and it, it just struck me when you go to a big live show, and uh, I'm talking about a big one, how much of the value that you when you calculate the value in your head, how much of it is to do with the performance and the music? And how much of it is just to do with being there? I think I, I, it's the latter, isn't it? Because I think you could extend this to all sorts of things, which we should so, talk so, about, shopping, so, films, football, whatever. But, you know, it's about... It's so about the majority, being... your majority, you'd say the majority of the value, you know, if I pay if I pay 50 quid to go and see Kylie Minogue at wherever, when, you know, when this bloody war is over, how much of that 50 quid... Is 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 justified by the performance on stage, and how much of it is justified by I went to Kylie Minogue? I think it's about I went to Kylie Minogue because don't you think that particularly during these uh, these trying times that we're getting used to the idea of doing everything at home, and therefore your your and I say you can extend this to, to, to absolutely everything like football. So if you look at football on the television, you, you're used to seeing every aspect of it in incredible detail and replays of the bits you might have missed. When you go to football, I mean, I used to go and see QPR, you know, we used to sit by the goal, which means that a lot of the time, there's only goals in the, you know, down the other end. You literally don't see them. There are no screens showing it again. Uh, so what you've got is just the atmosphere of being there and it's the it's the chicken balty at halftime and it's the pint of beer. and You know what I mean? It's the, sing, it's the crowd, you know. But in terms of actually what you see, in terms of the of the spectacle, it, it, it's not nearly as in some ways it's not as good, and I think that must be true of of, of live concerts. So people are getting very used to the idea of seeing in incredible detail, incredibly close up, spectacular shows. And you're getting to the point where the leap between paying ten dollars sitting at home and watching it on, and TVs are getting bigger, and sounds getting better on TVs. Do you think? I do, I, but I, 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 but I do. It's interesting. One of my daughters pointed this out to me a few years ago. She said the the reason people go to Glastonbury is social media. <laughs> that the reason it's really important to go to big events is to be able to tell your friends tell you're, a you're, there. you're a big event. Yeah, yeah, and to and to show them pictures of you uh, with your mates who are kind of yeah. dressed similarly. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in honor of. Kylie Minogue or whoever it is, yeah, and um, and and the actual performance is sort of not the centre of the. It's kind of the excuse for the for the real event, which is going, which yeah. is paying a lot of money is part of the part of the deal, because there's a showing off element about this. I spent second it, seven holidays, though, isn't it? I suppose Instagram so. holidays. It's the whole concept. I suppose you go to so. places where where there is an Instagram kind of destination. There's a Machu Picchu that you've got to have in the background. 
I'm here and you're not, you know. Yeah, yeah. So gigs are kind of like that. And uh, and streaming will never, never get into that space at all. No, it won't know? at all. But I do, I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people, there's a mate of mine I was talking to the other day about, about the, 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 the unpleasantness, and she was saying, I'm getting to the point where I, I, I kind of like being at home and I'm used to being at home. And I'm, I'm getting slightly scared about going out and doing things again because I kind of, yeah. I've got used to doing it all at home. It's like movies. I'm sure you saw that story about Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers are going to uh, stream uh, on a subscription all their new big box office releases, aren't they? Yeah, on their, on their own channel. Simultaneously on, on their, their own, own channel. <laughs> yeah. Simultaneously. So they're out in the cinema. And that's another interesting story. because Maybe it's to do with the fact that I'm getting older, but going to the cinema is no longer... As, as exciting experience as it used to be. You either go to a very expensive cinema, it's like the Olympic Studios around the corner from here in Barnes, which has been kind of done up, the place where Led Zeppelin the Stones recorded, etc. You know, it's not done from very kind of top end, but very expensive cinema, kind of sofa-like seats. Or else you go to kind of view in Shepherd's Bush, but genuinely still smells of disinfectant. And it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not very expensive. And the idea that you could watch this film at home, do you know what I mean, at the time you want to watch it? I, I realise. I think that's, you know, it's... I realised the great truth of the cinema business a few years ago. Gone the house a few years ago. I mean, it's probably nearly ten. When Lincoln, when Spielberg's Lincoln won the win the Oscars. Oh yeah, Daniel Day Lewis. It, it yeah. so happened that uh, I think my wife. It was yeah. It's always near near my wife's birthday. Yeah, and we always just say get the, get the pictures the day after the Oscars or something, and we'll go and see whatever's won. And so we went to a local cinema not far from here. Um, it was afternoon showing of Lincoln. And uh, it started, um, you know, the, the lights went down and the soundtrack started and you heard, you heard rain, heavy rain falling. And then you heard horses, you know, moving and you heard, you know, jingling of spurs and all that kind of thing. And then you heard dialogue. And it was only after about two minutes that you realised there's no picture in this cinema. <laughs> We're just listening to the soundtrack. And this is not just a clear, you know, kind of cool opening to a film. Oh, this wasn't the liberation. <laughs> hold on, I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come to yeah. this. The, the picture hadn't started. And you know, there weren't many people in the cinema. It was a big cinema. There weren't even many people in there. And we're all just turning around, looking at each other. Have you noticed this as well? Yeah. And then eventually a bloke get at the back. He thinks, this is bloody stupid, you know, <laughs> gets up and, and goes out. And I went out with him, you know, to kind of form a deputation to find out, you know, because in the old days it would have been a bloke. A bit of a projectionist, yeah. Uh, you can see that ratchety sound from the Not anymore. window. Yeah. Not anymore. We we eventually went downstairs into the cinema and found the staff occupied in doing not watching the film, not checking that it was working, not making sure that the paying customers who had paid handsomely for the privilege were Sorry, being dogs. were being delivered their you know peak experience as no doubt Steven Spielberg would have wished all this. No, they weren't doing that. What were they doing? They were doing their main job, which is filling the fucking vending machine. <laughs> and that is the great truth of cinemas. Absolutely. Mark, they're sweet shops. They are sweet shops. They are sweet shops. Yeah. They are overpriced sweet shops where the film is just the excuse to get you in and buy the sweets. And so... And so, you know, don't expect me also, to the be profit margin. What's the profit margin on popcorn? I remember Empire magazine working out, working this out once in a piece. It's something absolutely ludicrous, like a thousand percent or something. I mean, it's phenomenal. Well, because it has to be, because they're paying all everything for the film, goes straight back to the studio. Yeah. Goes straight back to Tom Cruise, <laughs> you know. And so the only way they can make a living is selling over overpriced popcorn. Yeah. And but but boy, it brought it home to me. And 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 so the first five minutes of the film, they just had to stop it and start it again. Now, how unsatisfactory an entertainment experience is that? That, that the first five minutes went wrong, and so they stopped and did it again. That wouldn't happen at home. No, I can see. The only reason you'd go to a cinema now is for major, major, major spectacle, isn't it? For, 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 for a kind of, you know, huge 
cinematic experience, amazing sound, those films that only work on a big screen. But, I mean, increasingly, there are less of those being made because everyone's working towards producing stuff for small screens. And um, and also TVs and sound at home is getting better, isn't it? We were well, watching yeah, this I- thing I've just... Uh, we've become obsessed with called The Queen's Gambit last night, which is a new Netflix miniseries. Fantastic. And I don't think there's a single outdoor shot in the whole thing. It's entirely shot indoors. It's just a drama. Why would you ever want to go to a cinema to see a thing like that? I don't know if you would. Well, presumably, into if, your it, home. if it's in episodes, you wouldn't anyway, would you? No, you wouldn't anyway, of course. But, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it, it's I mean, it's obviously a major problem for everybody in the cinema industry, isn't it? You know, the, if Warner Brothers have decided, no, this is the way we are going. And, uh, you know, so God knows what loads of these out-of-town cinemas are going to be converted into. God knows what load of these out-of-town shopping centres are going to be converted into in the future. Um, but it's it's looking very bleak for, on, on that side of things. Yeah, it is. But, uh, but um, yeah, you know, obviously, I feel sorry for anybody who's involved in it. But, you know, as I, 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 it, it's, rare, it's, it's only rarely in recent years that I've come out of a cinema thinking, well, that was a really satisfying experience. I know. Well I know. worth... Well worth every penny that we paid. Know, all all the, the travel, the parking, the people <laughs> yeah. with the, the chewing toffees in the row behind. I know, yeah. I know. Yeah. So we shall, we shall just, uh, in the future, we'll just, we'll just stay home, shall we, Mark? <laughs> the Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Welcome back. And we're joined by Magic Alex. Hello, Magic Alex. Hi, Sun there. shining on him up there in the Midlands. Hey, ho, Magic. Hey ho, how are you Still doing? Still flying the flag, I note, in your modish way. I keep meaning to buy a picture, but I keep forgetting to buy a picture also, which is the problem. Um, but I was, I was, yeah, I, I was meant to replace this manky flag, which is literally held up with parcel tape that's actually coming down. Um, <laughs> the picture, honestly, it's just the most haphazard slapdash thing ever. But, um, We've got a chance to see your Hard Rock Cafe T-shirt then. That's very yeah, impressive. Aruba, no less. Yeah. I got this in the Carib when I was there this year. Um, Alex, is that is that a child size or is that a man? It's a ladies T-shirt. It's a ladies yeah. T-shirt. <laughs> do you shop? Uh, you do buy. You buy ladies blouses, do you? <laughs> buy ladies T-shirts. And, yeah. I have to say, viewers and listeners, that we were talking to, to, to Magic yesterday about his hair growing. He said, "Yeah, I'm growing it out." Yes. We thought that's a very that's a very girls' expression yeah. too. Growing it, blokes would just be growing it. Growing it, growing it out is growing it out as if it could always be that length. You're just getting around to it now. You know? yeah. This this next item we were going to talk about, I think you suggested, Alex, first of all, which is the the uh, what you noticed when you were looking at the chart. Is that right? Yes, we're talking about bands, aren't we? Well, we're talking about whatever you want to talk well, about. Well, no. Go on, think, it's, it was the it was the I was looking at the top forty and noticed that in the top forty chart this week in the UK there is not one single band. Well, that's not true. There's the Pogues, but I'm obviously that's a re-entry of the Christmas record. And there's uh, there's Wham, but Wham aren't really a band. But otherwise, no. I mean, it's Ariana Ariana Grande. It's uh, Little Mix. It's Dua Lipa. It's Justin Bieber. It's somebody called CJ, who we thought might have been a band, except we noticed that CJ had a a track called Whoopty, which is not the kind of band. No, it's not. <laughs> track a band going to be a US no, rapper. No, right, no. Carrie, Myrie. Si- and I think the general feeling was, well, there was one called The Weekend, who I always imagined might have been a band. It's called The Weekend. It's not. It's Canadian no, no, singer, no, songwriter. No. No. Yeah. So, no, the point is no bands. Are there saying, are no bands. I so, have a theory that kids aren't forming bands really anymore because the, para- the social paradigm's changed a little bit. Go on. This um, is good. This you know, is good. Uh, so, okay, so, I mean, this, this kind of spans into all sorts of areas, but broadly speaking, when, when I was in school, you, you know, uh, if, if you look at, like, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the need for belonging is, 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 is a pretty fundamental uh, right. part of that. And, and, you know, every teenager feels like they don't belong and wants to find a way to belong and be part of a group. And the way to do that when I was in school was was to form a band and find like-minded souls and feel like you've found your kind. Um, And I think that things like social media and the ease of being able to communicate with your kind at any point in the world have sort of shifted the paradigm a bit. And and, and the the absolute abject need for belonging in the physical sense isn't, isn't as pressing as it was. 
Um, and so people are more inclined and predisposed to making music on their own, also with the technology that's available. Um, basically, people don't need to form bands on a human level in the way that they used to be need to form bands, I think. And that's knocked on to charts and how they're manifested by singer-songwriters and producers and people who are basically doing it on their own under a pseudonym. Yeah, and nearly yeah. all music goes out now through a small screen, doesn't it? A small screen. It, it, solo artists or duos whatever, work better than a band. You know what I mean? If you're watching Later with Jules Holland, which comes across better, C60 or Orchestra Baobab? You know what I mean? It's it's about that, that small, condensed kind of uh, theatrical I performance. It's about the fundamentals, because at that, you know, the, 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 when these, when these, you know, when Dua Lipa started doing her thing, when, when you know... Uh, when CJ started doing his thing, you know, these guys were all would all have been teenagers and um, and it would have all been about the fundamentals of why am I doing this? Why am I making music? Uh, uh, you know, uh, and I don't think they were doing it because they needed to be around people. I think they were doing it because um, because they had the means to and and isolation was all of a sudden OK, you know. Does that make sense? Just yeah, it does. But being a being in a band was the big fantasy when I was at the NME. That was yeah. the big fantasy. There's I no mean, doubt about that at yeah. all. You know, you had all the big bands of the seventies. You know, everybody wanted to remember the Faces or whatever. Then in the eighties, it was kind of you know, U2 and REM and the Pogues and the Stone Roses, and then you got Britpop and the Strokes and the Foo Fighters or whatever. And 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 the most commercial cover line was not necessarily Joe Strummer speaks. It was on the road with the Clash. Yeah, think, Dave? That was, was the thing. Was that it was on the road? The idea that even the most disinteresting group it was exciting on the road with bad manners. Wow, you know, I'm not remotely interested in what they've got to say. But what happens in the man, bad manners tour bus? You know, what happens at their backstage parties? You know, all that seems absolutely so, thrilling. I don't know why. It just did. Yeah, well, it was human interaction, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's also echoes of the kind of the gang, which is a standard uh, device in all the fiction, isn't it? You know, whether it's their famous five, secret seven or whatever. It's how they get on together, how they interact and how you can imagine yourself being part of it. Uh, And so a huge amount of the appeal of popular music was social, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, you know, just imagine... You know, in the classic cases, there's obviously the Beatles, and that was the the friendship group that everybody wanted to join, and everybody knew they couldn't, and that was just because it was a, just a perfect friendship yeah. group, and uh, it's also you know a, a lot of it's just supply and demand because you know the the fifties very few bands really they, they they what bands there are tend to be instrumental groups. The 60s is when the band kind of comes into its own. And it comes into its own in the period just before mobile discos. So if you wanted to be able to play, hear loud music in a social context, in a church hall or or wherever, you you had had to to get a band. band. You had to get a band. And what were the constituent parts of the most important bits of the band, actually, were the bass and the drums. Yeah. (laughs) Because you could... You could provide sufficient volume to fill that space because a small record player wouldn't do it. And so, you know, you don't start getting discos and then mobile discos and so forth until the late 60s, really. Uh, And so it was just a, you know, we're setting up some kind of event. We've got to have a band and they're going to be a band who are going to play a load of tunes that people can dance to. That's how it started. And I suppose with punk rock, you had to have a band because that stuff wasn't recorded at yeah. that point. So if you wanted to hear that noise, you had to get a band to play it. But what also what what dismantled that in the in the early eighties was the idea of the synthesizer. I can remember us running a piece of, in Q magazine in the mid uh, mid eighties, uh, the headline which was "It Takes Two. And it was all about the idea that everything was a duo. Suddenly it was Yazoo yeah. and it was Pet Shop Boys and it was, you know, it was Soft Cell or whatever. And we were fantasising about the idea that all the groups in the, in, the, in the decades before would now be duos if they formed. Yeah. The Beatles would be a duo. They'd just be John and Paul. The, the Stones would be a group called the Glimmer Twins, Keith and Mick. And, and, far, the, less, uh, and far less interesting as a consequence. Far less interesting. <laughs> you can't have... A duo, I would argue, I'm making this up off the top of my head, but I'm going to put it to you. I'm going to grasp my lapels, legal style. (laughs) I put it to you. (coughs) That a duo, that a duo in popular music can never be quite as exciting and charismatic and internally appealing as a group. 
Go over to you, Alex. I can see you raising your finger in contradiction. I, I would suggest the white stripes about that trend. The white stripes, to me at least, were really exciting. When, okay, uh, okay. And I will return to you. How long do the white stripes last? Uh, was it about, was it 10 years? Well, was it that long? I don't agree with that at all. Magic, oh, yeah. okay. surely. The White Stripes. I mean, yeah. all it was was lots of folklore about whether or not they might be married or yes. might be brother and sister. And after that, that was over, really, wasn't it? There was nothing I else. I thought so. No, I don't think so. I apply the, the Friends theory to it. The, the great appeal of, of Friends, the sitcom, is that out of the six of them, you know, we used to say this as a family when we used to watch it when the kids were younger. And every week we talk about who our favourite one was. And often it would shift. You know, and because there were six of them. Who's your favourite? your interest, sustained your interest in the programme indefinitely. Because apart from the David Schwimmer character, who we were never that mad about, the rest we absolutely adored. And they kind of, one of them would be top of the heap that week. That makes a lot of difference, I think. It's true. It's true. So groups, they're all over, are they? Because... You know, if you look at the chart, that's the conclusion you come to, isn't it? Yeah. But, but obviously, if you, you know, I, I realise circumstances at the moment are, are rather different, but when this bloody war is over, there'll be festivals up and down, you know, up and down the country, presumably, with millions of bands, millions of kind of hopeful, hopeful, rather serious white blokes in their early 30s, hoping but that they're going to make it, weren't they? Here's another point. So so with the advent of things like Logic and Pro Tools and, um, you know, studios that you can oper operate from your laptop, people are making music at home oh, and going to a studio. Um, and and there is, there's, there's no real, there's no real pressing need for things like a drummer these days because the loops on, on, on Logic, for example, are so good and so intuitive and reactive. Um, you know, whereas before you needed a drummer and you needed a bass player. You needed those things and a yeah. student to make the whole yeah. thing. But the bottom's fallen out of it, and you don't anymore. Um, because these the, the, the technology does exactly what, and I know people will, you know, people will get their backs up about this, and probably rightly so, but the technology does exactly what the humans do. And, you know, I'm saying that as a, as, as a form Puritan who's discovered all this and thinks it's fantastic. And really but if I'm in the audience, the, the technology is taking away from my excitement rather than adding to it. No, because I used to I used to go watch bands. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about bands, I used to think when you sit and watching them, which is only reflected in Martin Scorsese's The Last Waltz and is not reflected in any other concert film, which is the thing you can't get enough of is watching them watch each other. Yeah, the interaction. It's the interaction. Well, the E Street Band are a really good example of that. Those two shots that they always have with them on stage. Just looking at each other. And, you know, it's, it's, it's any little musical signals. Because you're yeah. watching. Because here's the point about another point about a group, actually, Alex. It's quite interesting, though. I should write a book about it. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, is that you're watching something being done. You're watching something being accomplished, which is part of, part of the excitement. It's like watching a meal being made or whatever. Well, Anything, further to that, no, further to that, and this is a terribly uh, old-fashioned point, but but I remember being disconcerted when starting to see electronic groups that I couldn't work out what was making that noise. Sorry. When there's a band on stage and you can see all the instruments, every single one of those instruments, you can work out where and what it's 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 contributing to the overall noise. But when they're not, I remember going to see the Pet Shop Boys in 1986. Thinking, I'm really, I'm really, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how much of that is is is, is on, a, on a on a kind of the classic bed. case of this. I think Mark and I have talked about this before, but it bears repetition. Is is Mark and I went to see the wonderful Dutch group who do the Beatles? Uh, God, what they call them? The analogs. The analogs. Yeah. Uh, doing the whole in of, Abbey Road studio. Doing the whole of Abbey Road yeah. in Abbey Road. They all in order and they did it beautifully, perfectly. They don't try to dress like the Beatles. They sound like the Beatles. And so they start off. They do the tracks in order. And as soon as Maxwell Silver Hammer is starts, everybody is thinking, "How are they going to make the hammer sound?" And sure enough, as it gets they wheel out, it, they slowly wheel out an, an anvil. anvil. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it gets to that point, the percussionist just advances towards it and goes, taps it twice. Ding. Yeah, I know. Because the delight in the audience to see somebody do that wow. is far greater 
than than to than, than hitting a button. Hitting just, a button yeah, exactly. at all. Just oh, no. at all. Watching something being done is one of the the great things about a band, and particularly a rock band. Because the rock bands kind of did things that that sort of dance bands and and previous orchestras and so forth didn't really do, which which was you saw them struggle with the logistics. You saw them take off one guitar mid tune and have another one handed. Absolutely, all those little bits of business. Part of the part of the kind of showmanship of the lead guitar solo is about the fact that I am actually playing this. Absolutely. That kind of old grey whistle test cliche that whenever there was a solo, you got a close up of the fingers on the fretboard. Yeah, yeah. You know, seeing the really yeah, important even the stupid drum solo, you know, which nobody misses. But there was a drama about you know, oh, the other ones are going to wander off now. Now, are they going to go far or are they just going to perch in the wings or whatever? And will they all come back on together or will they come on one at a time, you know? And um, it, it, it was watching something being accomplished. Yeah. It, it, was, a, it was a very, very exciting thing. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll miss it. But the other thing about what well, I was talking about, the, the singles chart, did you the, see the albums chart? Well, we come to the albums in. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Because it's the extraordinary preponderance of ancient Christmas records. You know, uh, Mariah Carey is obviously there at number two. Wham's Last Christmas is there at number three. Fairy Tale New York is is there is there at number eight. It's absolutely shaking, Steve. Shaking Steve's, I know. I think Chris Reyes in there, but I think Shaking Steve's, I was amazed about. Do people? Yeah, I guess they do. It's part of the fabric. But if you songs aren't being written anymore, it, it's not they're probably not. They're, they're probably that's a good point. They're probably not. They're, God, that's a good point. But why aren't they? Because they're so lucrative. That was the great. That was the kind of holy grail, wasn't it? Could you possibly write a Christmas song and thus be able to to, to retire comfortably? And you've still and got these people on. Brenda Lee's rocking around the Christmas tree. I know. Is somehow, God knows how, at number nineteen. How old's that? About 1961 yeah, or something incredible. like that. Yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely astonishing. Well, all the stuff of that Phil Spector album is still, still very much, still gets played in this house, but, I mean, that's still part of the of the, of the, uh, the, the scheme of the, things, isn't it? The Phil Spector Christmas album, which we, we yeah, that will be played in our house at Christmas. The kids, well, the kids, they're not kids. Um that they'll insist. And the, the funny thing about listening to Darling in Love or whatever, Christmas Baby Comes Home, uh, pl- Baby Please Come Home, is uh, as you think, oh, this is the old traditional Christmas. What is it, 19th century? <laughs> is the era of Charles Dickens? No, it's a pop record made in 1961 yeah, yeah. or whatever. But it now, it now feels... No, that seems to be the traditional <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> that, that seems, that's the traditional oh, no. Christmas. So you were saying about the albums? No, the album chart. I had a look at that too, and it, it stopped me. That was entirely full of old people, mainly, mainly because I guess I guess it's old people that buy albums, you know. But the, the album chart's got Michael Ball, ACDC. That's a new record, actually. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, also a new record. And Iron Maiden re-released it. Neil Diamond, Andre Rio, Kylie Minogue. Kylie Minogue is fifty-two. I mean, you know, she qualifies <laughs> as being relatively old, doesn't she? Floyd, Springsteen, Cliff, Elton John, Coldplay, Fleetwood Mac. I mean, they're just. There didn't seem to be any. That's not a format, is it? That people are buying, I guess, for for uh, younger groups. I don't know. So Kylie Minogue is fifty-two. Is she? She's fifty-two. Crikey! Uh-huh. So how much older is Kylie Minogue now than Paul McCartney was when he was trundled on at Live Aid as the <laughs> venerable survivor? Oh, that's of- a good one. No one was Live Aid. Eighty-six. He was born in forty-two, so he was forty-four. So yeah, she's she's eight. No, Live Aid is eighty-five. 85. 85, sorry, he was 45, 43. It's so, 40. yeah, she's seven, she's nine, nine years old. Nine years old. That's amazing, Paul, isn't it? Because when Paul McCartney came on the live it was like, wow, look, Paul McCartney. Yeah, you can walk without a stick. <laughs> Incredible. Because <laughs> Kylie's still, you know. Still got pranc- his own teeth. Prancing around, prancing around her pants, probably. I know, I know. Absolutely extraordinary. So uh, what else? Oh yeah, we were going to. We were. Uh, I got my list of things. Oh, you wanted to talk about Altamont. Oh, I thought Altamont's worth mentioning. Altamont happened on the sixth of December, nineteen sixty nine, uh, which is tomorrow as we record, and um, was described Woodstock West 
is meant to be, and described by Rolling Stone as rock and roll's all-time worst day. And I just think it's amazing. I went back and then look at that event. It is astonishing, really. You know, firstly, they decided to have it instead of, you know, Woodstock was in, in the middle of summer in a field. This was in, on tarmac in the winter. Uh, originally, it was at Golden Gate Park and then moved to San Jose. And then they changed venues two days beforehand from Sears Point Racetrack, just outside of San Francisco, who wanted $300,000. They moved it two days beforehand to Altamont Speedway. Various groups were on the bill. Santana, Jefferson Airplane, Burrito Brothers, Crosby, Stills, National Year. Grateful Dead, who'd been largely part of the organisation, actually, didn't yeah. get to play. The reason they didn't, they didn't get to play at their own event, really. They didn't get to play because Marty Balin was knocked unconscious by Hell's Angel, so they refused to go on. Wow. The stage was only one metre high. These are amazing statistics, you think about. And, of course, famously, the security was done by the Hells Angels. The idea being that, and this is Sonny Barger. If you've ever read Hells Angels by um, yeah. Hunter Thompson, Sonny Barger is the, is the terrifying ogre who's the leader of the San Francisco chapter. The whole idea is that, that if the Hells Angels just sat on the stage, that would be a sufficient deterrent for everybody to, to, uh, to behave themselves. And they were paid. How were they paid? Magic, you're going to have to guess. What were they paid and who by? I'm going to have to tell you. Go on. $500 worth of beer was what their fee was. Wow. And that had to be paid by the groups. The groups themselves had to shell out collectively to pay for the Hells Angels. So what you got was a situation where a load of Hells Angels drinking vast amounts of beer who were meant to be sitting on the on, on the stage actually were armed with sawn-off uh, pool cues and motorcycle chains and went into the crowd and started fights. And, uh, and also another interesting fact is that the Stones were late on because Bill Wyman missed the helicopter. So that's staggering too. All those people waiting, and he'd missed the he'd missed the flight in. And uh, and uh, he, another, another thing that struck me is everyone thinks oh Meredith Hunter, the poor guy, the unfortunate guy, got got stabbed and in fact died. There were there yeah. were three deaths, I think three accidental deaths and one murder. And uh, you know he actually Meredith Hunter actually drew a a, a long barreled twenty two caliber revolver at one yeah. point. Yeah. So, you know, it's not there, like I, this I'm, is just I'm, a kind of load of hippies. I'm, just I'm saying that's that's an action which even today can easily be misinterpreted, can't it? <laughs> it is possible. If, if you draw a, 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 a long a barrel of weapon in a public place, people will not give you the benefit of the doubt, will they, really? No, no. It's not the most certainly acceptable thing to do. It is. But it's just, on every level, it's ghastly. Of course, the repercussions kind of went on because the Stones got a lot of flack for that because it looked like the Stones had organised this as a photo opportunity for themselves. They were making a movie, weren't they? They were Um, making a film of it. And then they used footage of it eventually, I think, in Gimme Shelter. But the whole idea was they were going to film this event. So the idea that they had exploited all these people. They didn't do Woodstock and they regretted, you know, that... um, yeah, so it was a bit. Let's do a really big show that we can, we yeah. can be the star of. Yeah, but it, it is staggering, you know, when you reflect on it that uh, the the forces of the forces of law and order were the Hell's Angels, who were Nazis. That's not to find a point. Of, <laughs> Just because they had the right beards, they are considered groovy guys, you know. We were talking about this, weren't we, recently with George Harrison's famous memo around the Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The angels are going to drop in. They may seem a bit frightening, but they're cool. No, they're not. not (laughs) Wouldn't like them around your ass, George. God, you know. Oh, it's um, it's it's a it's a chilling thing. It's an amazing story, but I mean, everything has to go through appalling low times to 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 learn something from the experience and. And do course, something about it. But I mean, course, now, you look back at that now, and you think that is absolutely astonishing. Anyway, was that, how it long was it after Woodstock? Six oh, well, short time, six, well, five six months. months. Six months. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's completely the same time. So, and so the, the lens through which we look at Woodstock is the sun shining. There are small children. You know, naked girls are tying flowers in each other's hair. It's all very fabulous. It's the Garden of Eden. And the lens we look through Altamont at is, oh, it's dark. Yeah. It's, it's Hieronymus Bosch, you know. Absolutely. It's the, it's the world ending. Well, I'm sure, if you, were, I'm sure yeah. if you were there at either of them, they would have felt entirely the same. 
You could have had an absolutely appalling experience at Woodstock and actually quite enjoyed Altamont for the way back. I think, well, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash, very good. I remember them as being brilliant. Santana. At Altamont, you're probably so far away and there were no screens or whatever that you wouldn't know what was going on. All you'd know was that Rolling Stone's set had been interrupted and... You know, there were people saying, cool it, man, and everybody... Well, there's a bit in the, in the Gimme Shelter, I can, I can remember, where you see Jagger watching the footage of himself yeah. on stage trying to quiet the crowd. Yeah. It's astonishing. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't want to see that, would you, really? You wouldn't. But you there, wouldn't. Is a, there is also, you can find on YouTube, those wonderful clips of, of the, uh, the Grateful Dead and the Rolling Stones hanging around the heliport in San Francisco. That's right. To be choppered out. <laughs> with just just all standing there, kind of wearing blankets, and they're just as if they're about to go on an outing to the seaside. You know, yeah. no kind of security. You know, have you got your sandwiches? All that. Yeah, you know? and can't um, leave no, fast enough. No idea what's going on. So. Yeah. So well, there you go. So Tony Hooper of the Straubs. Yeah, Tony Hooper died, uh, who I didn't know very much about, actually. Um, yeah, he was a member of the Storms. I thought he was quite interesting because he was uh, he was a kind of one of those rare examples of somebody who who did everything on his own terms, really. He was a kind of folk purist, wasn't he? He used to go to um, used to cycle in with Dave Cousins of the Straubs to go to the Cecil Sharp house and go to um, go to uh, uh, Doe Bell's records to buy folk records. And wanted to, in a complete purity, wanted the Straubs to be a folk rock band. And the moment they started to stray towards anything remotely commercially, put his foot down in a hissy fit, left. So he was at home when, when uh, State of the Union was a hit, you know. But I thought it was kind of interesting because after that, he got a, another career. You know, he worked in the electronics industry. Um, and then Rick Wakeman started up on a, a programme called Gas Tank. Do you remember Gas Tank, Dave? Was it BBC oh, yeah. or Channel 4? I can't remember. I do. I do. And one of the things Wakeman did as the presenter of this programme was decide to reform the Straubs. So th at that point, Tony Hooper came back, rejoined the group, stayed in the group for 10 years, and then left again, entirely on his own terms. Suddenly he'd had enough, went back, put out, uh, published books on school kids, and, uh, for school kids on genetics and electricity and stuff. Well, I thought it was quite interesting because I was thinking, how many people did that? How many how many musicians went off and had completely separate well, let me tell you, careers? Go on. Let me tell you. It's funny you should ask that question because Dave Cousins, the leader of the Straubs, did pretty much the same thing, which is that he he left when the Straubs broke up after their big success and you yeah. know, the union all that sort of stuff. He went off and he ran radio stations. So he ran, I think, Middlesbrough, um, the, the commercial, you know, the, the independent station in, in, in Middlesbrough. Yeah. And 10 years, Devon Air down in Devon. He was a radio professional. He was a man who set up radio stations, knew how to apply for licenses, all that sort of stuff that you have to do. And, uh, and did it very successfully about, for about 20 years. And then stopped doing that and then reformed some version of the Straubs, the acoustic Straubs, and still tours to this day. So, but it I is, love those stories, though. It is quite rare. People who look really genuinely contented about the whole thing. I mean, I don't imagine they're lying awake in a fetal position at four in the morning, agonised by the fact they didn't get a songwriting credit on this, that, or the other, or some kind of old, some kind of old uh, riff that's still kind of uh, yeah. is salt in the wound. Like, great, the classic fans. one, I think, is Jeff Skunk Baxter. All right, Jeff Skunk Baxter, the Doobie Brothers, and Steely Dan. You know eventually went off and was he was nominated to chair the Civilian Advisory Board for Ballistic Missile Defence. Yeah, he knows all about missiles. Yeah, and was involved in the US spy satellites. And I thought that was an amazing change of direction. Isn't, so Terry, the, isn't Terry Chimes of The Clash, what is he? Uh, He's a chiropractor. <laughs> I know. Cindy Bird's song of the Supremes went off and uh, became a... Uh, well, first, originally she was a nurse and then she became a, a minister, I think. But I think Skunk Backs is brilliant because there's that example of the Doobie Brothers. Their name alone suggests they sat around smoking bales of weed every day. <laughs> you know, and put out songs like, uh, you know, <laughs> Daughter, Daughters of the Sea, Flying Cloud, Ukiah. Do you remember all those tracks? You know, and the idea that he's now sitting there thinking, which missiles should we point at Russia? I thought it was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> good luck to the man. It's good work. So what else have we got to talk about? Alex, any other business? What have we got coming up by the next week? We've got loads of very exciting guests lined up for Word of Erratic, aren't we? Haven't we? And we're also doing rather exciting. We're, we're doing 
word in your attic with bells on. So that means with a special Christmas flavour, where we're bringing back certain uh, much-loved guests from the Oh, past. yeah, with some of these, some of the ones we've done before who've, who've very sweetly accepted an invitation to come back again because they enjoyed it. We only enjoyed. this time wearing a Santa hat or an elf's costume or something. So we're going <laughs> we're to do something that's kind of um, in that vein. What else is going on, Alex? Well, the weekly quiz is hotting up with, with, with a pie as the prize. With a Braze Cottage fantastic memorial pork pie to go to the winner or the person at the, at the head of the leaderboard when we close for business on what, Friday, uh, Friday the 18th of December, I think is our last one, isn't it? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. I think it is. So yeah. we'll go on. The leaderboard for next year and uh, start afresh, but there is there is some serious competition happening at the moment. Um, well, else we've got a few uh, uh, patron birthdays this month. Oh, um, yes, we have. Good, lovely. This we love a birthday. Uh, so we shin down the digital drain pipe of these people's houses, uh, come down the digital chimney and inspect their possessions, don't we? Indeed. Okay. Anything else we need to talk about? Uh, we think. Uh, five regional cow accents in the UK. I think that needs discussing. Five, five regional, regional what? Cows in the UK have five regional accents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I noticed this story. Actually, you mentioned it the other day. <laughs> they say that a bird song, too, that you can tell sometimes with bird song that birds sound slightly different depending on where they come from. So you can have Liverpudlian, you know, blackbirds or whatever, sparrows. It's <laughs> a great idea. Isn't the world exciting? Well, <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.